once the world was full of wonders. But it belongs to humans now. We have all but disappeared. Demons, vampires, and witches hiding in plain sight. And we're alive. Welcome back, witch people. We are so excited you are joining us for our recap of episode five of our new favorite show, A Discovery of Witches. Um, my name's John. You can find me on social media at jerickson85. Um, make sure you're following the show on Twitter and Facebook at Pop Theologians. We're getting a lot of fun interactions with you all. And my crazy friend from Florida who refuses to leave, Marcy, where can we find you? <laughs> Hey everyone, you can find me in Florida for now. <laughs> you can for find now. Me for now is like the major keyword today. Um, you can find me on Twitter at I am the men who can. Um, yeah, come at me on Twitter in, in a nice way. Or come a, at me, bro. Come at, or in a come at me, bro way. I actually love Twitter arguments too, so let's do this. <laughs> it's true. And at a certain point, we just send gifts as our responses. I mostly actually fight with uh, with the Pope on Twitter. He's never responded, but I just shoot a lot of shade that way. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds about right. Hey, so Marcy, um, what crazy things happened this week? Right. So, okay, I was going to start off with like these three stories that have nothing to do with politics, but I can't hold back, John. <laughs> Can I see a tiny political crazy story? Uh, there's, I mean, what environment do you think we have crazy political stuff going on, Marcy? Like, come on. I cannot <laughs> with Donald Trump asking Japan to nominate him for the Nobel Peace Prize. I can't. I am so embarrassed for everyone involved. Um, look, he's not going to win it. Like, he's never going to, like, that's just never going to happen. But I am now, like, fundamentally embarrassed for the Japanese people for the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, I would feel some shame for Trump, but the man does not know shame, so I'm not going to carry it for him. Um, but that had me laughing all day, mostly because I don't know if you've seen that quote, um, Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Like, holy shit. Like, oh, I just, I can't with that story. So I couldn't leave it off. It's just two bananas. But Let's move on to our real weird news of the week. I promise, like, I think that's the only time we've slipped in a political weird story, but it's just, it's mostly just shade. It's me throwing shade, so. Um, we found some pagan news this week. Yeah. So I was excited <laughs> since I told you last week that pagans are, are under the radar right now. So apparently hundreds of witches' marks believed to be from the 17th or 18th century have been found in a limestone gorge um, <clears throat> at the Creswell Crags in Nottinghamshire uh, in this like network of British caves, right? So these marks that almost look like runes, which we've seen on the show like a million times now, um, apparently were thought to keep evil spirits away from coming from the underworld. Um, folks actually thought they were graffiti for the longest time, but now they've been reclassified. Uh, so I think that's really cool. Like, I, I always think it's cool when we stumble across, like, ancient Twitter, right? Like, <laughs> these are signs of the folks who came before. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like a little, like, hand wave. Like, what's up, y'all? Like, hey, what's up? Right, right. So I thought that was a cool news story. Uh, next one, John, I really want you not to let me down on how hilarious just the um, title of this is. Uh, 
near naked crowds hunt for lucky sticks in a Japanese festival. Thousands of near naked men seeking luck scrambled to find two sacred sticks as part of a Japanese festival. 10,000 men wearing white loincloths took part in the ceremony at a Buddhist temple in Okayama on Saturday. So <laughs> the participants were purified in water before scrambling pretty much butt naked to find the sticks in the crowd of all men. <laughs> Is this what straight people do? <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. I was dying. Uh, the men who find the sticks will be considered the luckiest men of the year. I love religious festivals and I love um, how we all kind of have very different ones. Um, but it was just the way this was written about was like tons of naked men looking for sticks. Sounds like a story in West in a, Hollywood. Personally. Right. In a pile of naked men. So, yeah. It's um, like the undie run that we have here in West Hollywood where people like run around a block in their underwear. And I've like, witnessed you running Abbey. in the undie run. I've never been in the undie run ever. Was it I would you? never, ever do that. Nope. John, that you're depriving the world. No, first of all, I am not depriving the world. <laughs> Second of all, that no, I'll just give money. I know I, I saw someone in West Hollywood do it. So, John, does your family have any weird like traditions that people would be like, "What the"? No, my no? family's so vanilla. It's not even funny. Can I tell you that Colombians from my part of Colombia, from Medellin? Uh, at the stroke of midnight, New Year's, we run around our block with packed luggage. It has to be packed luggage. Um, we're ringing bells and a bunch of shit because it guarantees travel for the new year. We just have a bunch of like repression and dairy products. <laughs> I like mine better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do too. Um, the last crazy story is actually not crazy. It's just really great. Uh, a black leopard was spotted in Africa for the first time in a hundred years. The extremely rare female cat um, made uh, her appearance in Kenya and biologists were just completely like stunned. Um, they could not believe that this black leopard, so no spots whatsoever. Um, it has like a melanin problem or should I say like a melanin like upgrade, right? Cause she's entirely black, gorgeous, um, popped out. And so folks really quickly on Twitter were obviously quick to be like Wakanda forever. The Black Panthers are coming out. Um, so I love this story. I love the fact that for now she's alive, even though the first thing I thought of when I heard this story uh, was like, my God, someone's going to pay, some yes. American is going to pay $50,000 to Tin Can. From Florida. Uh, Yo, I know, I, I can't, I know. But for now, Wakanda forever. Super excited about that story, so. That's a great story. Isn't that great? Uh, imagine being like the first person to see something like that in like a hundred years. I think it's pretty cool. I think so too. I mean, I would run the other way. Like, girl, like this thing's gonna eat me. Right, I wouldn't stick around to like do an Insta, but <laughs> I, I would be very excited for the two seconds before I fear for my life. <laughs> Exactly. And we have to go. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Next. Uh, you want to well, break down this episode? <laughs> Let's break down the episode. Let's do this. Okay, Marcy. Humans. Am I right? Humans. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I suck. We hear you, Matthew. We hear you. We hear you. So 
as with every episode, it starts out with Matthew's favorite lines that once the world was full of wonders and now it's full of humans. We get it. We're causing climate change. We're screwing over everyone. But luckily, we have Satu picking up Diana and flying away magically to some random ass castle. Yeah, at first I was like, where is this? They really quickly explained it, but I was like, where are we going? <laughs> like, how far is this ride? And like, this looked more complicated in bed knobs and broomsticks. Which is, by the way, one of the best Disney movies. Yes, of all time. it is. It, re- it is so underrated. When people are like Mary Poppins, I'm like, yeah, but have you seen Bed Noms and Bruce? Yeah, but have you seen an actual movie? Right. Thank you. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you. Next. So here we are introduced to Satu flying. Um, and we're kind of wondering, like, wow, witches are flying? That's pretty amazing. But what we have been coming to know is that Diana and Satu are obviously very, very powerful. And what we find out this power is called, you know, it's a, called a witch in flight. And it hasn't been seen in a really, really long time. So we have people that are just like in this story that are exuding this extreme amount of power and it's something that's like being birthed into the world by them being present so we literally don't know what's going on yet where she's going but they eventually land at this old trotting castle that looks like it's straight up out of like a game of thrones set piece and there they begin and you find that satu and um uh um juliet's father Javert. Javert. I remember, listeners, I did not pass the French like test at all. So let's be real. So um, Javert and Satu are there, and they're going to be basically interrogating Diana, but Satu goes first. But Javert says something that's really interesting, and it's that women are Matthew's weakness. So much like his quote-unquote daughter, um, Juliet, we find out that here is another woman who has brought Matthew to do a lot of stuff that violates the congregation's rules. And Satu, you know, can totally tell that he wants to get his hands on her, but she's like, leave this girl mine right now. And then she starts interrogating her. So she tells Diana that she is not her enemy. They're both witches. They're both from the same type of lineage. Which, like, here's the thing, though. If you just picked me up from my run with your human claws, flew me to who knows where, dropped me from, like, 12 15 feet in the air yeah, that was a high drop yeah don't be like we're not enemies girl i love you <laughs> exactly and like, diana yeah, gets bro. it because she's like um like i'm pretty sure you're not on my side on this one right um so satu really as we've been kind of seeing in her storyline she wants to learn more about diana's magic there's something about diana's magic that she doesn't understand that she thinks is a little weird because how it's been described or how she kind of can act out on her powers and so she starts criticizing her aunts for not teaching diana magic that you know this is a long part of which coven lore like they're supposed to pass it down um and diana claims that she has little magical aptitude that she can only do things here and there like you saw on the first episode but you know satu reminds her that she is a bishop so we keep getting more and more clues to diana's lineage that we saw in the last episode with matthew testing her dna because nothing's sexier than dna and then satu then claims that she wants to help her since she is also alone and so diana reminds satu that she's not alone she's like hey like i got like a really attractive like yeah thousand year old boyfriend i just met this dude but I, she, honestly i want to call diana anna she's, she's like we've got like an anna and elsa situation going on right now yes yes Don't we? Well, everything's related to frozen everything my whole life yeah, is frozen 
right? So Diana reminds Satu that she's not alone. She has like this really serious relationship of a week that like is like <laughs> totally going someplace. And you know, she got tenure professorships at like 13,000 universities. You. So she can totally handle this. Um, so then Diana like then threatens to hand her over to Javert and if she doesn't like cooperate. Satu threatens to hand her oh, over. Oh, Satu Sorry. threatens yeah. because why not? Because Satu's already thrown her around all the time. And so Which why- like it's confused, like, this alliance between Satu and Javert is a little strange, right? Because we've got a vampire and a witch kind of working side by side, even though I don't think either one of their aims is, is parallel. Like, I think Satu just wants more information and clarity on Diana, whereas Javert is kind of like, maybe I need another witch in a box. I think Satu's there for the sisterhood. She's kind of like, wait, I don't really like all these other witchers. Like, yeah, Nox I is do clearly feel like an she's asshole. solitary. You're right. She is working kind of this solitary angle. Yeah, and I think we see that more and more as she's really trying to dive into, you know, Diana's background. Right. And so, like, Satu tells Diana, like, she kind of taunts her. This actually reminded me a lot of Matthew taunting Jillian, which was, like, the only reason Matthew wants you is for that book, right? And then she's like, by the way, Matthew attacked Jillian, and now she's dead. He killed her, and it was brutal, right? And finally we get some closure there so jillian is dead it just took a little longer in the show than it did in the book right and diana is completely floored right and she's like matthew would not do that and he wouldn't like not tell me about it right and i think this moment is a like you see diana become just a tiny bit weaker and this is a really bad moment to become weak right because Satu immediately begins her attack. It's like she knew that if she could shake her a little bit on Matthew and her strength is coming from this connection with Matthew, um, then she could get in, right? So Satu begins kind of this like t- this attack, which we knew from her conversation with Knox was like the, um, the opening spell, right? But Diana does use some of her magic <coughs> to push her back. And for me, this was like, well, obviously her magic is gonna show up right now. She's in danger. And we know that her magic keeps showing up when she's in danger. And so, so begins this episode long fight. Um, so there's little scenes interspersed between the Satu and Diana fight, which we'll cover. But like, honestly, this whole episode is just Satu torturing Diana, which is, a, I felt like this was a very long episode for not a lot of what happened. So, it's really only one set piece. Right, right. So we we switch off to Javert having kind of a bit of a powwow with his box bitch, right? And like a box <laughs> witch. And, you know, the, the witch is saying the same thing she's been saying nonstop, which is, you know, uh, the do not trust the one with the, the blood of the lion and the wolf, right? Yeah. Um, so I think he's the first one to recognize that box witches murmurings and kind of prophesying actually probably has to do with Diana and Satu, right? Which is something you and I had kind of talked about earlier in episodes that I felt like they were obviously connected in some way. Um, so then we flash back to this, this fight out in the courtyard of this, what looks like a burnt down castle. Um, and Satu in a very cruel moment brings up Diana's parents, right? And I think it comes from the place of like, she wanted to remind Diana that she needed witch friends because look how her parents ended up and Diana loses it. And she's like, wait, like witches killed my parents, not humans, not demons, not creatures, not vampires, witches. Um, 
and she's so pissed that some witch wind kind of comes off her shoulders as it does. Um, and Satu's like, the witch wind is not going to affect me. And so Diana goes, well, did you know that Knox uh, was the one who knew that witches killed my parents? Like Knox is implicated in that. And now Satu looks a little shaken by information she wasn't ready for. So they keep like hurling information at each other to hurt each other. Um, and I think the reason that Satu would be shaken by some type of revelation about Knox is because I think something that you just hit on a little bit earlier is I think Satu really does believe in kind of like, for lack of a better word, the sisterhood of these witches, right? Like the fact that they do follow a code and they protect each other and there's something to be said about the community. So Diana being like, yeah, no, my parents died at the hands of us, right? Yeah, is information is power. Deal. And like this is like the ultimate witch. Uh, can we can we have a moment for our information? This power is one of my favorite lines from Game of Thrones season four. Season four is season three. Littlefinger says it to Cersei because information is power, and she clicks her fingers, and she like looks at the knights uh, at her like the Red Keep, right? The knights, and she goes, "Attack!" Right? Circle him, attack, whatever. He looks like he's gonna shit his pants, and she goes, "Power is power." It is one of the best. Cersei moments in all of Game of Thrones. And now whenever someone says information is power, I'm like, it actually isn't. Power is power. Like, I always go, but maybe I'm turning into Cersei. I don't uh, know. Well, she is our favorite character. She is my ride or die. I mean, I mean, who I, knows? I, maybe we'll talk about her more. Maybe someday we'll talk about Cersei a bit. Sorry. Sorry for the going into a little bit of Game of Thrones, but like I always, I always, whenever someone says, which is really smart, information is power. And if you're looking at a discovery of witches, we know that something that's weakened Diana and weakened Satu is a lack of information. But in my, the back of my head, it's always Cersei being like, bitch, power is power. <laughs> but that is, that rings true here though, too, because they are having a power off. And then unlike with Cersei, unlike with like Game of Thrones, power is very like physical, like it's military might, it's money. Here it's like actual power. Actual power. It's like your right. witch wind, your witch fire, like your powers as a witch are what are going to what is going to make you the most powerful. Exactly. So speaking of powerful, we go to Matthew, who is very vulnerably sleeping in some comfortable 12,000 thread count sheets exactly. at his castle. And he wakes up and finds that Diana's missing. Uh, and I'm like, dude, I thought you had magical powers. I would like, he's just sleeping, sleeping his life away. And I just want to say- He was White, tired. Right. White Butler would have known Diana was missing within like five minutes. Yeah, because he follows her. <laughs> so Matthew, I think, can sense that something's happened, right? Like, I feel like Math Matthew immediately is like something's wrong, but I'm not sure he knows what's going on. So he starts to kind of like sense around, like goes and kind of like is looking for her in corners of the castle. While Satu is still torturing Diana. And I think, uh, I think this is important. So she has this like little drum and it's covered in runes and she starts to pound the drum right in this kind of repetitive like i don't know if you guys can hear that it's like this like repetitive kind of like pounding saying the words tell me your secrets right so i'm guessing this is the beginning of that ritual the opening ritual yeah and this spell is brutal it is fucking brutal um it is very rare that we see protagonists weakened for real weekend particularly when they really are the protagonist but diana in this moment 
girl begs for her life, mm-hmm. she gets beat the fuck up. I mean, like literally she like almost like cracks her skull open. She keeps begging for her life. She's crying. And Satu, I think, keeps expecting magic to appear from Diana. And it's not. Um, and, and then in like the final moments of this scene, um, she even calls out for Matthew right? She's delirious from pain and like she's calling out for Matthew. John, I'm confused. This would be in my head a moment where her power should show up, but they don't. Yeah. And I think that we can't really go into that without spoiling some stuff that we find out in the next episode because remember there are certain limitations on her powers. And I think right. although her powers are emotional, now it, they need to come out for survival. So right. they are coming out, but I think that they're bound in a certain way that, you know, they only have certain Whatever's happening, there's clearly limitations. Exactly. Okay. And then we take a quick detour back to Diana's aunts. And um, we have another scene with scrying into the bowl. Um, and mark it, John, I'm about to make my first Harry Potter reference. Got it. Um, the, the scrying kind of looking into the bowl with water, these two pillars of smoke come up right? And one's super light and one is super dark. And Diana's aunt immediately knows that Diana's in danger and that she's in pain. That imagery of the smoke reminded me a lot of the treatment for death eaters that we see in in the one through seven films of Harry Potter. And then we definitely see those pillars of smoke um, in the Fantastic Beast world. Um, and we even see the gradients in color, depending on the goodness of the wizards. So I thought that was a really interesting kind of like, um, I like again to to be like like I don't think there's any copying or anything like that. I just love when this kind of imagery within the stories of grand narratives that we love just kind of mimics each other, right? Like it's just really beautiful. So. I do too, and I think that it's also really something that shows like Diana is an is connected, but how is she reaching out in other ways and that her aunts are finding her and, you know, really serving that point of like, you know, there's something about her that calls out to this magical universe and they're seeing it. So Satu continues to torture Diana because we're in this type of narrative right now. Um, but Satu now shows her what she can do with witch fire. So uh, Satu, like Diana's like hanging upside down basically with her back towards Satu. And Satu starts using this witch fire to metaphorically like penetrate Diana. And this is like the opening spell. And we really see how much pain Diana's in. And, and it's really powerful because... I think the the visual effects in this episode are quite are done quite well, and in regards to how they interact with the characters, I don't see a lot of like green screen movement in the way that it's just done horribly in the editing room. So props to all the editors that made this look like a legit, almost like torture scene battle, whatever you want to call it, of supernaturalness. So, um, so we quickly go back to Matthew, who's like literally losing his shit. He's like. He can't find Diana. Baldwin shows up. The two, Matthew's brother, they begin to fight. Matthew bites Baldwin. And Matthew, like, you know, if he knew she where she was, she'd be in Venice already. And Marta lets him know she found her scarf outside because when she went running, she had a beautiful scarf because why not? Um, and that's so Bald- someone else. Baldwin's the, one, Baldwin's the one who says, 
you know, because Matthew bites him to take out information the way that Matthew did with Jillian. And Baldwin's like, if I knew where she was, I would have already turned her into the congregation in Venice, which I think is interesting, right? Because he's literally saying like, dude, I don't know anything, but if I did, we're not on the same side here, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah they're not. And so um, we go from basically getting little tidbits of you know marta letting matthew know that someone else is there so some another witch and remember this is like vampire kiki land it's like territory so like witches are not allowed down there they're like when diana came it was like the first ever and so another witch has been there but they never really touched the ground so they're kind of wondering what happened so they start understanding like a really powerful witch came and got diana so we then go back to satu and diana and their bdsm torture scene and satu continues the opening spell and it causes them both to collapse in this fire circle it's too much for satu to perform and too much for diana to bear so, so what they've like still- officially taken each other out they have. And remember, Knox said that that spell is super powerful. It's really hard to do. Yeah. And people aren't able to do it. And we see um, Diana completely out of it. But then Satu, and this is a spoiler for later episodes, she drains all of her power for doing the spell. Like, she has no more power at the moment. So she's really vulnerable. And what she does have is really minuscule. So, um, but I think another important thing here is that we have a man at the central point of this narrative. And here we have two women hurting each other in like the name of men. Right. In the name of Matthew, in the name of Knox, in the name of Javert. I'm not sure these two girls even know why, two girls, that's my own bullshit. These two women, why they're actually fighting each other. Like, and I think that that is tiresome. Um, (laughs) It's just, I, I need more of, I need more motivation on on Sawtooth's side, to be honest. Yeah, and we don't really get that in the books, but, you know, because of... I remember you saying that. Yeah, of just her character development, but, you know, I think we see it a little bit more in the emotional acting of the the actress who plays Sawtooth. So... So basically, um, Baldwin assures Matthew that Peter Knox didn't take her because they're wondering, like, what is the most powerful witch that could do this? Because, number one, Peter isn't that powerful or is not as powerful as Satu because Satu can fly. And so Baldwin assures Matthew that Peter can't um, fly at all. And then we go back and Satu wakes up um, and begins to drag Diana, like, through this fire. So, like, where are they going? We don't know yet. But then we quickly flashback and Baldwin's getting knocks on the phone because they're trying to figure out what's going on. Because at the end of the day, you think about this as like two factions for me. Like you have the practical, like almost like, you know, political side where they're like calling the other end of the aisle, like, and saying like, Hey, you are doing this. And why are you like kind of enemies from different political factions talking to each other? And then you have people on the ground actually being like, we're not screw your politics. Like we're going and we're doing this anyways. So it's really fascinating how like the interactions between like the upper echelons of the congregation people versus the people that have really don't give a crap about the congregation. They're like, well, we're just going to break the law. (laughs) Right. um, Baldwin accuses Knox of using Satu to grab Diana and, you know, Satu, um, covers for Satu and basically says, God help you. If you know, Baldwin says, God help you. If you are lying, Peter, because this is going to be all out war as we've been kind of hearing more and more and more about that. So, but uh, Satu, we go back to this scene. Um, she is taking Diana to like this catacomb, like basement area of this old like castle. Um, and she's basically locking her up. And then Matthew and Baldwin are 
really like back to trying to figure out where Diana is. So, you know, she couldn't have gone far. Obviously flying takes a lot of energy. So how could she do it? Um, and the, you know, white nanny reminds Matthew that witches, even at their height could fly only short distances, you know, so she is close. And Javert then comes out and we're back at the castle scene and he finds Satu. And he then what does. Happens? He, he finds her and like, I guess in his head, so Satu doesn't say what she's found out from this opening spell. So Javert, I think, thinks that she has failed in whatever she was trying to do. And he, he's kind of like, you've had your time. It's my time. She belongs to me now. Um, and Satu kind of tells him like, hey, I'm completely depleted. Like, I don't have any type of like energy left. I can't do anything. And then if you look down at the floor, Diana's just knocked out. Um, so we've got like, Diana's kind of like the sleeping victim. This reminds me a lot of like a sleeping beauty type of metaphor, which is an extremely problematic type of metaphor. Um, because now a lot of harm is being done to Diana, um, when she's not even cognizant. Right. Um, but then Satu's like, I don't have anything in me. Like Jesus Christ, like I need to sleep. And Jabber is like, I need a Red Bull. She's a Red Bull. And Jabber is kind of like, I can't wait to put this witch and her head in a box. Yeah, um, like he totally is not trustworthy. I'm like, no, Girl. not at all. Not at all. And so then we transition back to Matthew, and Matthew decides that it's time to call Diana's aunt. So he calls Sarah, and he lets her know that she's been taken by a witch. And like Sarah's face when he says by a witch. I think consistently breaks down the stereotypes that we see in the show, which are metaphorical to our own embedded bias, right? In her head, she was taken by a vampire. And it's like, no, she was taken by one of you guys, yeah. right? Hello. Hello. Um, so they, in turn, tell him everything that they saw in the scrying bowl. And, um, and so Sarah says, by the way, there was a castle and two figures in the bowl. Um, and that causes Isabeau to, uh, Matthew's mother, to figure out that Javert has a castle in the mountains that she thought he had abandoned long ago, but it would be close enough for Satu to have done the flying thing with Diana to get there. And she's like, it's like a 16 minute ride on a helicopter. And so they pull out their magical helicopter out of their back pockets because they're so wealthy and they jump on the helicopter and they're ready to go. Right. So we, I mean, what else would you do? I mean, like, it reminds me of, like, Vanderpump Rules and how often they all pull out, like, private jets. It's just so easy. It's just yeah. so easy. Um, so we transition back to Diana, and she appears to be woken by some light. She's, like, surrounded by light. This is my favorite. Okay, I just have to tell you, like, I know we disagree on this episode, but I love this scene. <laughs> Why don't you break down this scene for us? Well, okay. Well, I just think that, you know, I just think the acting that is done by Teresa and the narrative, Teresa Palmer, and the narrative that, like, how this story is fitting together and, like, how we've been seeing this, like, two storylines of Matthew and Diana are coming together slowly and slowly for Diana, who's, like, very self-assured and, like, finds herself, um, you know, as her own savior, not needing Matthew in some way, but how they also, it's okay to need another partner, to have an equal partner right. that frees you in a way. I think there's a, there's a non-domineering like narrative. Um, so she sees her mother and her mother's surrounded by spider webs and her father is there too. And she's asking her mother to tell them, to tell Diana this story. And this is a story that will be repeated in the next episode, as well as in other ones that has a lot of symbolic meaning. So um, it's this story. It's her story of Satu, Matthew, and this fairy tale is basically Diana 
is her life. Um, there's a princess that couldn't fly, a prince that couldn't fly. So Diana had to um, help herself. And so there's a hole in the ceiling. So what we're trying to say is that there's a little princess um, that has all this magical power and she can do anything. But then there's a prince that couldn't fly. And so they have to come together to find some way to help each other. And so you look up and you see this hole in the ceiling. Diana's forgotten a lot of stuff. She doesn't know how to do certain things, but she needs this other half to her coin, this other half to like make her story whole. And she so I, truly I would, realizes it. I would say this is the moment where you realize that somehow her parents had the foreknowledge to know that Matthew and Diana would need each other. And so they spent her whole childhood weaving in these stories that should have helped Diana identify Matthew as someone she needed to trust and hold dear, right? Um, so it's like a weaving, um, which I guess is where the spider webs come in, right? It's a weaving of the past and the future that they gave Diana kind of as a puzzle to figure out. Yeah, and it's a dream sequence. And so she then wakes up, um, right. goes, hey, mom, like, mom, like, mom. mom? anyone there and what diana realizes here is that she's gonna have to help herself right um and we transition to javert interroga interrogating Satu, and he's just kind of i think he's finally on to her that maybe she found out more about diana than um she had kind of led on and so i think to scare her he pulls out the witch in a box and i think <laughs> Satu's face is like i am on the wrong team here this is not right <laughs> and it's like yep. It took you a really long time to figure that out, my friends. Um, so Javert hears something and stupidly, like this makes no sense from a plot perspective, leaves Satu with the box witch. And I'm like, that did not make any sense. Like he hears like a rustling outside. He's like, be right back. Chill with my 5,000 year old box. Like, yeah. Like here's like the secret of like to like everything that you need, like, or the key to like everything. And right. like, I gotta go. Bye. I'll be right back. Don't, don't ruin anything. Um, so I was like, okay. it's like Dumbledore telling Harry all along that he's a freaking horcrux without even knowing it. Like, don't even get me started. So, <laughs> so Satu, I think pulls some power out of the witch and then grabs the box and pieces out of the room because Javert didn't leave it locked or anything. So, um, Matthew and Baldwin are still searching for Diana, but they cannot find her. And Diana's in this pit hole and she kind of hears her parents' voices. Um, and something in that causes her magic to become free or for her to acknowledge that something has changed in her magic. And she hears her mom tell her to fly. And then suddenly Diana literally flies out of this like hole up straight towards Matthew. And so now we suddenly have two flying witches, right? We have two very strong witches after hundreds of years of very not strong witches. Exactly. And basically Matthew and Baldwin take her away from that place. Satu sees that they're leaving, but she just lets them go. She doesn't stop them because I think she's had kind of a wake up moment being like, uh, I'm definitely on the wrong team here. Um, and so she, they go and then they arrive back at Matthew's castle um, because that's where all things happen. You go from one castle to another and white nanny Marta helps, um, you know, to take care of Diana because Diana's clearly been put through the ringer. You know, she's literally had an opening spell 
and it's really been torturous for her. And then so Matthew's mother um, comes up to Diana and tells her how glad she is that they are safe because it was pretty dangerous. I mean, they were going into uncharted territories. No one really knew who took Diana or what they'd all be going into. So Matthew um, examines Diana just to make sure there's nothing crazy going on because he knows a little bit more about magic and everything that she does and he helps to clean her up. Um, and I really thought this was beautiful. Like he's there cleaning her up, you know, and making sure she's okay. And he tells her how proud of her strength he is. And, you know, cause it takes a lot to come through the type of spell that she just did. Right. Yeah. And so Diana tells Satu was trying to see what she could learn about her powers. Um, she basically starts telling Matthew everything and that she tells them her back is hurt because of this penetration spell that she was doing. And she couldn't see it, obviously, but um, Matthew wants to take a look. So he cuts her top off um, and he finds ruin, runes on her back and basically says that Satu has branded her. And this appears to be very bad news. I mean, it's never good to be branded. And if anyone ever wants to brand you, you say no, you just say no. Are you thinking um, of that Nexum cult? I'm totally thinking of that next time called. I'm also just thinking of like, if you get married to someone, like just don't get their name tattooed on your body. No, no. We don't need to do that. No. Um, so anywho, so Diana wants to see it. And, you know, she's a, you know, a scholar. She wants to know what it means, um, you know, and Satu did say she was going to open her up, but she didn't. So like what stopped her? What was going on? More questions remain than we have answers for. And then we're back to our, always favorite daddy who's clearly clueless right marcy javier <laughs> yeah he's just awful at keeping prisoners he's like where'd everyone go like what happened where's my box switch where's my box switch but he does pick up the drum with the runes and then he licks it and i'm like yeah, what gross. he's gross Bro, you're disgusting go so, bathe your weird daughter go, right go home go home go find juliet who's about to cause some trouble yeah um, so we transition back to the castle and Matthew is taking care of Diana and she's in like the most beautiful, like blue cashmere setting. Like her sweater is cashmere blue. Her blanket is this beautiful blue. And I'm like, she looks real comfy. And like <laughs> Diana asks him like point blank in this like lap of luxury. So you killed Jillian. <laughs> and like, I'm like, girl, he just saved your life. But yeah, buddy, it's time to ask him about it. And, like, he says, no, I didn't, but I wish I had, right? And he's, like, completely unapologetic about it. And he's, like, you know, like, anyone who's going to try to hurt you, I'm perfectly fine killing. And first off, I'm not sure he's not lying. Like, I think he pretty much knew she would be dead eventually, that he had done too much harm for her to live through it, right? Yeah. Um, but Diana kind of just accepts that and is, like, all right, well, promise me one thing. You at least won't go after Satu because I want to take her out myself. And um. I just, hmm, hmm, I don't think, I know, mm. <laughs> but she did this brand her. So like, bitch got to get her payback. No, for me, it's that she so easily lets go of like, Oh, the Jillian back. thing. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where it's kind of like, I'm just going to have to let it go. Yeah. The story is not developed there. And like, and I think you see in the book more so Jillian is, you know, kind of a bad guy that betrays Diana. So that turn is there. You have more sympathy for someone when you see them on screen. And I think you have more sympathy for Jillian. I mean, we've been here like, you know, hustling her, like saying like, your wig girl, your wig's horrible. Like right. you're, you need to tan a little bit or go out in the sun because you're real white. Like, how do you afford that house? Like, what do you 
do shady lady so you know we've been definitely shading her but you know she's a little bit more sympathetic than what we you know Right. And so we're about to go into the part of the episode that I do not have enough background information on. And I was very annoyed with it, but I think my annoyance will turn into delight once I have background on it. So uh, Baldwin walks in and tells Matthew that he has to take Diana back to the congregation. And like, they kind of get into like a dick swinging competition, right? Because like Baldwin's like, I'm the head of this house. And Matthew's like, I'm the head of this house. And like Baldwin's like, I will disown you. Like, you will no longer be a part of this family. And then Matthew pulls out the weirdest card. He's like, the Knights of Lazarus will protect Diana. And like, as a viewer who has not read the books, and obviously I don't want any spoilers, I'm like, I'm sorry, who? I do remember that we found that Lazarus kind of like doorknob thingy um, back in the- More to come. More to come, right? Well, more to come in season two. Right. But here's the problem for me. The second he says the Knights of Lazarus will protect Diana, Baldwin's like, oh, okay. Oh, I guess. All right. Uh, He looks like a safe word. Right. That's exactly what it felt like. Marcy, what's your safe word? What? What's your safe word? Uh, Glitter. Obviously. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Mine's zucchini. I don't have a safe word because I don't I like literally when I'm when I'm too scared or overwhelmed by something I shut down so I couldn't even get a safe word out if I wanted to like I hear you I would just like die waiting for my my vocal cords your nights of Lazarus right waiting for my nights of Lazarus so obviously it is some type of safe word because like Baldwin looks really upset that Matthew would bring up something that I'm going to guess is very sacred to protect a mere witch, right? Because he's like, how dare you bring up the Knights of Lazarus to protect a mere witch? And then Matthew, like, we have a complete reversal of roles because Baldwin had been like, I'm the head of this family. All of a sudden, Matthew's like, you have to obey me and I need you to go after Satu. And Baldwin's like, all right, bye, Diane. I got to go find Satu. Like, it was just like such a narrative, like, it was so stunted. Um, and like, here's the thing. Good writing lets me know I'm missing information, but doesn't move the action forward in a way where like, it's a little unbelievable. And so like, I was struggling with like, whatever information I need for this, it's okay if I don't have it yet, but at least make the actions that they take believable. Um, I, yeah. But I'm excited to find out who the hell the Knights of Lazarus are. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, so obviously Baldwin is on his way to the congregation. He's going to let them know that Satu way overstepped her bounds. Right. Yeah. He's going to be like, girl. Yo, you're about to, you're about to feel the mighty weight of the congregation, whatever that is. Whatever that Um, means. Right. And so Satu is in a farmhouse. We transition back to Satu. She's in some farmhouse with the box witch. And she's kind of like interrogating her, but not in a mean way. I think she's horrified and she has a lot of empathy for her. And she's like, who are you? Like, what did he do to you? Box witch is like, my name is Mary Gianna. Is that correct? Yeah. She's a very old witch. Right. And um, Diana's like horrified because she's clearly heard of her. And this box witch is like begging to be released. Right. Um, So Satu takes off her mask, um, this like metal mask that's on the box witch. And uh, the box witch, as usual, says, beware the witch with the blood of the lion and the wolf. Uh, And then she adds on this piece that I don't remember from before. She will destroy the children of the night. 
Yeah, so I think that was that was purposeful. I, she's not telling that to obviously crazy vampire daddy because she doesn't want him to know that. So she's only the children it to of the cat. night are the vampires, right? Who knows? Yes, I mean I think we need a little that's, bit more context. I, yeah, that's how I'm going to interpret it. But she tells Satu, and I think this is why I really like Satu, because you see a little bit of redeeming quality in her where she recognizes this person. She's clearly studied. She knows her history, her witch history, and then she sets this person free. Right. So, yeah. So Satu, let's, uh, I'm going to jump down a little bit to, um, jump out of order a little bit, but Satu does free her, saying it's time for you to finally rest, right? And then the box switch before she kind of dissipates into the ether says thank you weaver to Satu and I was like I'm sorry what weaver then again we've talked a lot about spider webs so I don't know yeah I think uh, we get there a little bit more yeah so talk to me a bit about the one additional scene with Sophie Nathaniel and Agatha which I'm still just trying to pull those threads in these threads are just constant storylines that I think every shell falls victim to at some point where they're like what are you doing but basically um, we are back with our favorite demon slash demon but now pregnant baby child whatever it is and um, Sophie um, asks Agatha for more information on Diana because remember she's searching for her right. um, and that searching she also- for whoever she's supposed to give the statue to and she's convinced it's Diana Exactly. And so she also needs Sophie's help. So Sophie tells Agatha that she was born of witches. Sophie was, but she is a demon. And Agatha is like astonished because remember, people don't mix like bloodlines or like, you know, magical lines. And so she doesn't know how this is possible. But, you know, Sophie also thinks that her child is a witch. And so Agatha's really upset they did not trust her sooner because she's like, hey, it's like, you didn't tell me this answer. Like, two days ago when I needed to know it and now you're telling me and I I have to rush through all this stuff. It's crazy. But then Agatha tells them her name is Diana Bishop. So Agatha gives Sophie kind of what she needs. She's like, Oh, I know who you're looking for because Agatha member has been a part of the congregation meetings when all this has been going on. And now all of a sudden it kind of clicks for her. So we kind of see uh, this story moving forward really rapidly, this, this storyline and more to come on it, but it's kind of like that plot thread that we just roll our eyes at a lot. Yep. 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 And so I think the final scene is really important of this episode. Oh, it is. So we go back, they're in the castle, Diana and her crew. And Diana's kind of like, she looks like she took some happy pills because she's like, I'm feeling so much better. And she's like bouncy and her hair is bouncy. And Isabeau, I think without thinking, goes, well, obviously, you are now unbound. And um, everyone gets really tense because clearly she has said something that was not supposed to be said. And Isabeau goes, you know what? She deserves to know the truth and she does not need to be coddled. Exactly. She's powerful. She recognizes it. So they let Diana know that someone had bound her magic and that's why it wasn't coming out. And Diana doesn't know a lot about magic, but she knows enough to know that only very dangerous wizards, wizards, <laughs> there's my third Harry Potter reference of the day, um, very dangerous witches or witches who had lost their minds were bound because they were a danger to others or themselves. She kind of looks in the mirror and she goes, who am I? Like, why would I have been bound? Like, 
what is happening and that's where the episode closes totally we close with diana having a bit of an existential crisis of was she bound because of awful things she's done that she doesn't remember yeah and as a viewer you're kind of like okay i have to watch the next next episode now right like that made me very excited to finally be like okay i think these last two episodes should be breaking down all of the story we don't have and that is very exciting yeah and they definitely do i mean we've seen them we're going through one by one but the next episode, you know, really goes into the story because they obviously need to go see the two people that know this most of all, and that's Diana's aunts. Right. Very excited. I am so excited. And I love the scene with Diana's and her parents in this episode, and I know there's a lot more to come. Yay. Very exciting. The sh- I mean, I'm very excited. I think we've talked about this on other episodes, but the show has done so well that it's being picked up by major networks now. Um, and so I'm interested to see the kind of second life it gets once it goes like huge, right? To AMC. AMC, which is home of The Walking Dead, which was a show that you and I really enjoyed the first couple seasons of. <laughs> well, it's like, an ep- it's like on season 37 now, so. Right, right. Um, but no, thanks everyone for joining us for the breakdown of episode six. We have two more. That's it. Episode five. We're not at episode, episode five. Oh my goodness. No, you're jumping ahead. Six, my love. Is it? Yes. Okay. You were right. Oh God. Your Alzheimer's is getting so much worse. Marcy, I'm going to say it. You were right. Oh, I love when you flirt with me. It's so cute. <laughs> Well, everyone, we will see you guys next week. And by see, I mean here. (laughs) That's right. All right, y'all. Bye. Peace.